Thanks, Jasmine. Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys. Hey, uh, on Easter, we began a series. We just called it, um, Let's Talk About It. And so uh, what are we talking about? And so we talked about Jesus on the first... Uh, uh, the first weekend at Easter, who Jesus is, and that he's healer, he's savior, right? He's still working, he's eternal king. Um, last week, we talked about uh, the aspect of his word. How do we, how do we, how can we trust his word? What about the, you know, whatever the situations could be in that? Um, and this evening, uh, or this morning, we're going to be, this weekend, I guess, because we had service last night, but uh, this weekend, what we're talking about is really, like, the number one question that that, um, surveys have said that, is that if people could ask God uh, any question knowing that God would answer them what would you ask and the question came back is why is there pain and suffering in the world and when we talk about this aspect this is uh, a things that philosophers and theologians have debated for uh, and discussed for thousands of years really uh, but the thing is that that these conversations still happen because I've had these conversations uh, on college campuses when I did college ministry I've had them uh, happen in the classroom I've had them happen uh, in on the street just having a conversation with people I, I've had it happen uh, in my friend's house as we're just talking about life. And so uh, in the midst of those things, we know it's a very common question. Uh, at the same time that we, as we discuss this though, is that we don't want to approach it purely from an academic level. How many of you guys have ever heard philosophers or theologians kind of lecture and speak like that? Anybody here? You guys ever? Yeah, and, and so sometimes they answer questions nobody's asking <laughs> and sometimes they talk about things in such a complex way or it's a technical way of speaking very dense very uh, uh, precise that sometimes we can miss the nuance and so I don't want to speak about it that way but I do want to at the same time address that there are you know real issues and real thoughts that we have to address uh, and the other aspect is as a pastor I'm always concerned about the way that where people are at personally because the, the thing about this issue is that though we we can talk about it in a dispassionate way about you know if God is good why is there uh, evil and suffering in the world but to be honest most of us when we think about it we think about it personally right because if we're through going through that you know you, you you've had the uh, loss of a loved one uh, you, you've seen a relationship that was sweet turn into betrayal or if you people who've gone to war and people who've seen you don't have to go to war to see man's inhumanity to man but if you've experienced these things we understand that you know they they present real challenge to us and so uh, we understand i understand that if you're in the midst of something really difficult right now. You're going through it. Uh, I understand that you might hear the message and it might sound a little hollow because because sometimes we get overwhelmed by those things. Um, but at the same time, I'm hoping that even if that is the case, that would you know that there are real answers and real reasons that we can hold on to hope in the midst of those times. And so this, this evening or this weekend, we want to make sure that we're continuing this aspect, um, what it says in 1 Peter 3.15, to, to set Christ, uh, to set up 
to set in our hearts to set apart Christ as Lord and being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us, right? Uh, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. And so this ev- this week, I might, what am I always saying this evening? It's like it's not that dark, right? But um, so here's the thing is that we want to do is uh, we want to try to address that. Now, when I've, when I've done that, when I've had these discussions, uh, sometimes I've had them in really comfortable settings, right? Uh, and, and it is academic. And sometimes I've had to sit with couples who've lost a child. Right? I, sometimes I've had to do it in the midst of kind of a city that has been devastated when the tsunami hit um, the Fukushima, Sendai, and they call that whole area the Tohoku uh, Prefecture. Uh, it's literally like about 100 miles of all the cities, every city, it's the same level of destruction. Uh, took 20,000 lives. And I've sat with people who have lost everybody in their family and except them. And, and, and when we talk about these things, you know, they're very, very personal. And, and so sometimes in the midst of that, it's just to listen is, is the best, you know, when we're in the midst of that. Um, but this, this morning as we talk about it, that, um, you know, this is not the time to listen. This is the time to discuss a little bit. And then maybe we'll have a time to listen. But uh, I do want to open in a word of prayer. Would you be kind enough, that, let's just say, I, um, you know, we can do all the study we want, but we want God's Spirit to lead us this morning. Father, this, this morning as we come, uh, we know that this um, issue may have academic roots in it, but it is an intensely personal uh, question for, for many of us. And, and sometimes the, the people that, we're, that we love, that we deal with them, and this is their question. And this is the thing that they begin to, to struggle. And so, Father, we want to build that bridge between uh, what might be intellectual, academic, but really to where we are. And so, Father, would, uh, we, we thank you that you're the ultimate bridge builder. You're the ultimate um, one who speaks life. And so, Father, would you lead us that as we discuss this, it wouldn't just simply be academic, but it would be something that touches our heart, touches our life, as well as our minds. And we pray these things in general. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this, this morning as we start, this basically just three points to this aspect, but probably in in a discussion like this, it's always good to talk about um, what are our underlying assumptions. And, And so often that this discussion, if God is good, then why is there evil, normally often breaks down to like three simple statements. It can be more, but, uh, but for the sake of t- uh, our time, that we're just going to discuss these three. But it says this, that the first three statements is that God is good, right? So that the assumption, if God is good and God is all-powerful, right? God is all-powerful, why is there evil is the basic thing, right? So this is what, they, but it says that evil is real. And, and for some people, when they look at these three statements, they can say, even though the statement is simple, that it becomes very difficult for some people to believe that all these three things can exist at the same time because there are assumptions that come with those statements, right? So there's some assumptions that come with the statement. So that's why underneath there, I said that there's these statements with assumptions. And what is the assumption? That the first one is this, if God is good, 
then he wouldn't want evil and suffering in the world, right? Like if, if God was a, you know, kind and compassionate and he's good, that would he see what evil and suffering would do? And so he, he wouldn't want that, would he? And the second assumption is this, if God is all powerful, not that he wouldn't want, but he wouldn't allow, right? That he, he would prevent, right? Having evil and suffering in the world. And then the other part where we talk about when we talk about evil and suffering is it's not just a little bit. Maybe some people think if it was just a little bit, then maybe we, could, we wouldn't mind as much, but it seemed to be a whole lot of evil and suffering in the world. And so uh, those are the three kind of assumptions that a little bit more expanded. So as a result, some people just simply say, well, the, the, the simple solution is just if God is not good, we don't have to worry that God is good, then we don't have to, we don't have to worry about it. Some people obviously, they just want to say, well, it's because of this that I cannot believe in God, that, that God doesn't exist. And, and philosophers in the past used to be this way. They would just say simply that God doesn't exist, but today it's a little different. Today there are people uh, that, that they say God doesn't exist, and then they also say this, but I hate him. <laughs> well, how can you hate somebody that doesn't exist, right? So what they're saying really is, it, it, I'm, it, it's, I, I don't understand it, and I'm mad about it, right? So there's some people that they'll just say this, because of that, God is not good. And there will be some who say then, obviously, that God is not all-powerful, that God cannot do different things because, you know, it's, it, it's too hard or it's, you know, that the that evil or the devil is too strong. I've heard people say, I think that the devil is, might be stronger than God because when I look at the situations that I've seen, I see more of his activity than God's activity. Now, when people say stuff like that, I understand that there is a things that are wrong and you don't have to look in the newspaper sometimes you just drive down the street and you can see it right now uh, to prove this point some people have used this question and and I'm going to ask you guys raise your hand if you've heard this question before that uh, th this is how people try to say it's like look God is not all-powerful because they, they say this if God is all-powerful can God create a rock so big that even he couldn't lift it anybody hear that question before no? Okay, only the people that uh, talk to some young people. <laughs> but like I, I, I used to hear this a lot on the college campuses, uh, to be honest. And I, I used to hear it a lot. Uh, and why is this question like would be a conundrum for people? Because if you say God can create a rock so powerful that he cannot lift it, then you're still saying he's not powerful, right? But then if you say, well, if God cannot create a rock that's so big that he cannot lift it, then God cannot create that big of a thing, right? So it's like, you know, you kinda, you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. That's the, you know, part in the, the old proverbial saying. So, um, but here's some things. Why do people use that kind of a um, illustration? Why do they use that kind of a question it's because to be honest sometimes they they don't understand that when we say god is good we have assumptions about it as well when we say god is powerful we have assumptions about it as well and that they don't necessarily understand what those assumptions because we understand god to be not just the sum total of the universe but that god created everything in the universe so that god is actually existent before there was a universe right so current theory is that the, the universe started with the big bang right 
And the question is that we ask scientists, and scientists are asked, what happened, what was there before the Big Bang? And what, you know what their answer is? We don't know. We don't know. But to be honest, technically they say there was nothing. Right? So that one theory is that all of the matter is equally balanced by antimatter in the space of the universe. But the reality is, if there was a Big Bang, then there had to be something that created it, right? That there had to be some cause, some reason. So there was a Big Banger, right, someplace, right? And, uh, and so he exists outside of his creation. So if we were to answer this, we would, we would answer this. Um, it would be, we, we'd be mindful of this in Jeremiah 32, 17. Let's, let's read what it says. A sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So sometimes what we will answer if that question, can God create a rock too big for him to move or to lift? The answer is simply no. And then some people will say, well, then God's not, he's not powerful then, right? He's not all powerful. Well, it says that God, it's nothing is too hard for him to do, but there are some things that are impossible for him to do. In, for instance, and, and this is a slight distinction for some of us, but can God make a triangle circle? Well, then you have to look at what is a triangle? Triangle is a three-sided geometric shape, right? And what is a circle? Like a lot of us, we think, I know what a circle is. I don't know how to explain what a circle is, right? So I had to look it up myself. Like, what is a circle? It's like where every point uh, in the shape is equidistant from the center, right? So we have a circle. Can God make a triangle circle? No. Why? Because if you did, you would have changed all those definitions. So in other words, the reason why God cannot make a triangle circle is because it's nonsensical. Right? It's nonsensical. Can God make a, a, a black white? Like, it, you know, you're just throwing words together. So when people say there's no such thing as a dumb question, that's not always true. No, but, uh, but th because they, they don't realize what we're doing is we're changing the definitions. That's so often the, the problem in our culture today is they want to change the definition of things. And so we, we see sometimes the, the problems that come with that. It would be the same as if God were to, we were to say, can God make it rain in this room and not rain in this room at the same time? It just it doesn't make sense, right? You just, you're just saying, you're just making a logical impossibility. So there are some things God cannot do because it's logically impossible. There is logic in the answer that I gave, though, that God cannot lift the rock. I mean, that, that God cannot create the rock that he cannot lift. Um, and the reason is because God is outside of his creation. The rock, no matter how big he creates it, is still smaller than him. Because he exists outside of this realm, physical realm. He can in, be involved in it, but he exists even outside of it before there was anything, right? So the logical re response to that is no. Because no matter how big the universe is, the Bible describes it as the span of God's hand, right? So there are some things that we think in terms of the power of God, but, but what about this aspect of evil? 
it's, interest, it, it's important to describe and define evil because evil is not necessarily a, a thing. It's not like radiation where you can get like contaminated by radiation. When I was a kid, um, I, I, we, we had chemistry class. Anybody had chemistry class a long time ago? I was, this is a long time ago. You know what they handed around in my chemistry class? A bowl of mercury. Right? They handed around a bowl of mercury, and we all put stuff in it. It was floating on the mercury. It was fun till somebody dropped that bowl of mercury. And mercury went all over it. And it was like, today we would call hazmat, and that would be in the news. <laughs> Back then, you know what we did? We swept it up. And it broke down into smaller globules, and then we used our hands. And so some of you are wondering, that explains why Glenn is the way he is today, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like, it's crazy, right? So that, to be honest, we would have all been contaminated. We would have gone to the hospital. We would have been isolated, like we should have, right? But evil is not like mercury that breaks down. And even though microscopic, you cannot see it, it poisons you. That's not what evil is. Evil is not a substance like that. Instead, that what we see is that evil is a corruption of the good. So it, it, it's not a thing itself. It's when something that ought to be there isn't there, then that's an evil. So you might say, um, that there is sometimes, and I'll talk about it, natural evil and moral evil. There's two different things, but maybe we can think about it like this. Maybe a, a way to think about it is like if you had a body, and I know we all have a body, and let's just say you're totally healthy, right? Then you have a healthy body. Now, if you had cancer, we would say it's not a perfectly healthy body. But you have to have a body to have cancer. Without a body, there can be no cancer, right? But we can also envision a body without cancer, right? Uh, we have some friends that work in the automotive industry in our, in our place. Like if, let's just say, if you could get any car that you wanted, what would be your dream car? Uh, let me tell you my dream car. You guys want to know my dream car? It's a car that I'll never buy and I'll probably not have the resources to buy. But like a, I'm not talking about Lamborghini and Ferrari. And all, but I would be satisfied with a Honda NSX, you know, $179,000. I'd be satisfied with that. If somebody, but if, I can picture that, like that cherry red you know, super glossy kind of a car. Like, and if there was no blemish, then what do you say? It's like, man, that, this, this car's cherry. But we can also envision that there would be a rust spot on it, a pressure dent, a, a scratch of some kind, right? But here's the thing. You can have a car that doesn't have a dent, but you cannot have a dent without a car. You cannot have rust without the car, right? And so... You see, this is what God says is that it's evil is not like a substance. It's when there's corruption. That makes sense? So it's the corruption of good. And so um, some people deny that this is real, right? So some religious uh, kind of thoughts do it. Like Hinduism will deny that evil, evil is just an illusion. Like, you know, there's suffering and pain, and pain and suffering is an illusion. They, they'll say, say this. Or Christian science. And Christian science, if you um, aren't familiar with Christian science, you might have heard the term because we hear the Christian science monitor or whatever it is. Christian science is kind of like grape nuts. You guys ever eat grape nuts? 
It doesn't have grapes and it doesn't have nuts, right? And so Christian science is like this. It's not Christian and there's no science, right? There, I used to think, was well, that Christian scientists? No, but, but what they, de they believe is that, that sickness and suffering is an illusion. It has more to do with Hinduism than anything. And, and uh, so we see this aspect. Some people, this is what they say. No, it's, they, they, they can say God is powerful, God is good, but, but they just take away suffering and evil in the world. And I don't think that that is the experience of regular people, right? Because we know it to be true because this has been part of our experience. Uh, you know, when... Um, when my son was young, it starts early, right? So those of us who are kid, have kids, you take your kids to get vaccinated at times, right? So um, when my children were there, like kids are interesting when, you, when they get vaccinated because in the beginning when they get a vaccine, they don't even cry. Not when they get the injection, they get the injection. You know when they cry? After it's done, because they don't even know what's going on. Then after a while, they're like sitting happy, and then <laughs> they just start crying. But the, the, it's already done already. But then they learn quick. They start learning. They start learning that when you go to this office, and they see that auntie, right? Especially they bring out the little alcohol swab, and they start doing this. <laughs> they're breathing, right? And I brought my oldest. And uh, he, he was in the middle of doing this thing, and the, the nurse said this. She said, you know, today we got to do five. And so I'm going to need your help. Can you hold him down? Because he's going to squirm after, like, a couple of them. I said, yeah, I can do that. And, um, and then I, she gave the first injection, and I had to kind of hold him. And then he, by the time she gave the second injection, his, there was just terror in his face. And he looked at me, I, we made eye contact because I'm holding him. And it's like, eh, tu brute, right? Like, a, <laughs> well, you too betraying me, right? This aspect. And he was crying. And by the third injection, I'm crying. And what I wanted to say to him is that I, I'm not trying to cause you pain. I, I don't mean you harm, but he couldn't see it, right, at that moment. And, and this experience we have of pain and suffering in the world, I mean, it starts young, and it doesn't end until, until our life ends. Now, um, in this aspect, though, what we see is it's not supposed to be this way. It, 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 it wasn't the way the world was created. So God didn't create the world with evil. God created a world and created it good. In fact, that's the second point. So a good God created a good world, but there is a kicker in that because he did create a world with free will that made things possible. But when he created the world, it, it says in the scriptures that it was good. It was, it was, or maybe like today, kids might say, it's, it's all good, right? Like, it's, it's all good, right? Like, well, it's not all good, but, but it was all good at one time. So when he created light, he says, and in the first day, it was darkness and light. He says, and it was good, right? When he created the dry ground, it says, and it was good. And he created trees and plants and all that, and people. It doesn't say he was all good until they made male and female, then God says, it was very good at that point. Now, although it was good, there was a capacity for it not to be good, right? Because he created people, he created mankind, 
with a capacity to choose to love him or not to love him, obey him or not obey him. And it says it like this, right, in the scriptures. You might be familiar in Genesis 2. He says that, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from what? Any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this is not God placing like a child in a room with chocolate. And like psychologists have done these kind of experiments, place the chocolate on the table and just tell the kids, okay, kids, don't eat it and then leave the room. That's not what God did. Right? Because if you look at it, it was a garden. It was an acreage that had many, many, many trees, that had many, many sources of food. There was one tree that he said to avoid. Right? He says there was one tree. So it's not like they were surrounded. They had to look for it. Unfortunately, they did. Right? Now, they had some help. And, uh, and so they focused on this, and they... They ate the tree. They ate from the tree. Now, what does it say happened at that? It says what was going to happen is you're going to die, right? They ate it and they didn't die, though. Not right away, not physically, right? We do understand this, that there was a separation that happened between them and God because something died in them spiritually. But they lived for many, many, many years. Scriptures talk about it like as actually hundreds of years. Now, now why, what is this... Like, how can we explain this maybe in a, uh, with an illustration that may be a little bit more current? Maybe one of the current um, theories out there in explaining how large-scale complex systems are changed by one small disturbance. It, it's, they use this thing called chaos theory. You guys ever heard of chaos theory? It's probably best known from the butterfly effect. You guys ever heard the butterfly effect, right? So the, the gist of that is that if you had a butterfly in your backyard somewhere and it just flew around, every time it flaps its wings, it creates micro air pressure disturbances. And that disturbance in one section will interact with a surrounding area and that will affect that area that will affect the larger area, the larger area, the larger area. And so that you can have in complex weather, system, weather systems that, that a small disturbance can produce kind of like an unfathomable, like an unchartable, uh, humanly speaking, at this point, uh, event. So for instance, that the, the butterfly flying in your backyard on Oahu maybe one day creates a typhoon in, in India. Right? So that's the kind of a thing. It's like we cannot predict, but we understand that, that if we were to trace it all the way back and its myriad of complex interactions, it could be traced back possibly to the butterfly. So that's the butterfly effect. Now, why do I share that? Because it's like the ripple from this butterfly on Oahu, for it to get to India doesn't happen instantly. It has to work through the system. But as it does, it creates some kind of a change that shouldn't have had to happen, right? And so this is what we find happen in this picture in the garden is the opening of Pandora's box when they did the thing. It, 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 there was a ripple that the first thing that, that ripple kind of we saw its effect was a spiritual darkening in their heart. 
But then, to be honest, if something was happening with them on a, on a cellular or not a gene level, right? And to be honest, this thing is still rippling today in physiological terms. Because today, that people are getting more, in some sense, kind of health issues that we find we trace back on a gene level. Because this thing is still happening today. But we find all these things can happen even in nature. And nature began to change because, you know, earthquakes and tsunamis and all that, that wasn't part of God's original design. Floods and droughts and, and all this kind of disease and sickness, those things, right? So some of the things that we encounter in evil and suffering, and by the way, evil and suffering are different. And I, I use them together because often the fact that something is corrupted leads to suffering, right? So, but they're different. And so what we find is that the, this unleashing of these things happened in nature, and then it can also happen morally, right? That now all of a sudden people's moral choices change. And so everything in our planet throughout the universe, I would say, is, it didn't just, it's not just stuck on our planet. I believe it echoes through the universe. Something was corrupted that was an impossible for those two people to see but it it's its implications have been reverberating such that romans tells us this in romans eight twenty two, and we know that the what whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time that there is a sense in the world that yeah something is wrong now the question then is asked if God knew, because we, let's just say this, because the part, other part of it, the other phrase that sometimes is thrown in here is that God is all-knowing. And I, I, I believe that. I didn't list it in the thing. But that wouldn't God then choose to not make people with free will if they knew that this is going to be the result, right? Um, and in order to explain that, I think that maybe it's helpful to think in terms of Disneyland. Let's think about Disneyland. Any Disney... Uh, Disney lovers here. Uh, okay, yeah. Is you guys shy? Sometimes I just see it like this, you know, like, you know, I wear the ears when I go. I do all that stuff, right? So um, one of the probably iconic rides there is, it's a small world. You guys familiar with that, right? You get in the boat, you get in there with your friends. If you're riding in a hot, crazy summer day, that's a great ride to ride on because it's real cool. But you hear that music, right? And you basically do this journey around the, the world and all the cultures and everybody's singing, right? And the little dolls and like Japanese and, you know, Tagalog and, you know, Mandarin, all the, throughout the whole world, right? The Spanish and all that stuff. <clears throat> and at the end of the ride, some people are really happy when they come out and some people are really irritated with that music. But, um, but it's kind of like that perfect world, right? That you get to, to ride in. Now, what would you rather have? Would you rather have in your house the perfect family that was perfect all the time and that every time you went home you heard this music and your whole life was surrounded by that music. It would drive you crazy, right? A little bit, right? But, but you would have a perfect family but they would just only do that one song and it would do it because it had no capacity to do anything other than right or let's say this you could have 
real children. And if you have real children, you know what we soon discover? They have great capacity to do things that you don't want them to do, right? Like maybe it starts by them writing pencil on the baseboard or on the, on the wall or whatever, or, or when they're toddlers and they say no, right? That it produces actually great pain, great, great angst in the heart of a parent at times. Or is it just me? All right, thank you. I'm normal, you're normal, right? It creates great angst in us sometimes, great frustration sometimes, but we wouldn't trade it for the world. Because why? Because we have real relationship with your children, but you can have a nice thing, you can have a nice program, you can have a nice robot, you can have a nice puppet, but you don't have a relationship with that thing. It's something you use, right? It's something that might entertain you. And so when we understand what God was creating when he created the world, and this is an important thing to understand, that when God created the world, God wasn't trying to create a small world for a big God. God was trying to create a family that where people are sons and daughters. But they had to have a capacity then to willingly love him or not. And, and, and I think that's that aspect. So there we can see a mechanistic property where the people had no capacity. But um, I think, or we had, where the people have capacities to have free will. Now, um, and I'll come back to this, but, but this life, by the way, is like we, we have to exercise that capacity in this life. This life is like probation. Not, not the kind, you know, like um, you get the bran ankle bracelet around you, but, but the kind of probation like, uh, like when you get a job and you work somewhere and you work in that place, but you may not enjoy the full fullness of everything till you kind of, you hit this pace where you go, okay, this works, right? We want you here. And I'll, I'll come back to that. But, but this life is temporary, right? This life is not eternal. In this life, we, we live for a time in this life. Um, but can I just say this? If we understand that, that God created a world where he, though he was all powerful and he was good, that there was this capacity for evil to occur. And, and to be honest, we have to say, if God is all-knowing, he knew that it would happen, right? But, but, not, but can we say this? Not all pain and suffering is evil, right? Not all pain and suffering is evil. Just like my son's thing, it actually prevented him from getting sick, having death, potentially, you know, um, deathly illnesses as a result. But, but there are some evils that happen that, that are I mean, some pain that happens as a result of evil that's a different thing and he did know that it would be be possible but we say it's because somehow God was seeing that there would be something that could come out of that and and so this that's a difficult part I think to say but but what we also see I think is from that first instance that happened um, where the world was broken and that ripple began to move through out all of creation. We also see that God 
began a mission to restore a broken world, right? And so we see that that's point number three is that God wants to restore a broken world. And that the rest of this that is described in here is part of that process of God restoring a broken world. We see it summed up in the New Testament this way. In the book of John, John 3, 17. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish. But then verse 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through him. So he began this restoration process, and then he sends his Son. And what does his Son do? His Son, in, it says in 1 John 3, 8, says the Son... Son of God appeared was to destroy. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so it was to oppose the one who had been corrupted, who, to be honest, in many ways was the genesis of this corruption on our physical planet, in our physical world, and to oppose him and to destroy his work. And so how does God do that? How does God do that? It says it like this in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that what? God causes everything to work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, it is not calling evil good. That would be nonsensical. But it's saying that evil is evil and suffering as a result sometimes is a result of that evil. But God is saying that he doesn't waste the hurt. And that he can even cause good to somehow come out like the vaccine or in some sense working in some way to produce good. Now, um, I, I did talk a little bit about, you know, the fact that God is good in that, the, those three statements. But how is God then using that, by, by his goodness, how is he restoring the world um, in the midst of this world that is broken and has evil and suffering? Uh, I, I want to use a more contemporary illustration, not so much the chaos theory from the scientific one, but um, maybe just from movies. Anybody here uh, see this movie called Sliding Doors? had Gwyneth Paltrow in it, okay. So you correct me if I'm, I, I get off in my illustration. Uh, but it, it, it's actually a movie that you see uh, the main character, Helen, who's Gwyneth Paltrow, who's a PR executive. Uh, she loses her job, and we see her in the opening of the movie, um, going into the subway station and she's in a rush she's coming down the steps she she goes onto the train platform and she um, she misses the train and then as soon as she does that we see this kind of like rewind in some sense and she's coming down the stairs and then this time she gets on the train and and we see from that difference whether she gets on the train or doesn't get on the train that like a seemingly insignificant event that begins to ripple out over time and we see very, two very, very different lives that come into being, right? So one, one situation when she gets on the train 
that we see, you know, there's happiness and love start working out in her life and everything goes well and she becomes prosperous and successful, right? We see this one situation. And in the other situation where she doesn't get on the train, we see that divergent, that to be honest, the, the, the train system is like delayed anyway, so she cannot even ride the train and then she has to catch a taxi, but we see uh, increasing levels of disappointment and disappointing experiences and misery and failure and unhappiness. We see growing within her now the interesting thing in that movie was it was tied you know why she misses the train in the beginning because there's a little girl playing with a doll on the railing and because she's doing that when she's running down the stairs initially the first one she bumps into this little girl and that little two seconds or a second delay is what makes her miss the train and when they did the rewind and she's coming down the next time the mom sees her coming and pulls the daughter out of the way and so she makes the train and so that's we, we see this happen but the interesting thing the seemingly insignificant thing is that real that incident is what causes getting on the train and not getting on the train but it ripples out right now in the first scenario where everything goes her way uh, it even gets to this place where she falls in love because she actually had, gets a divorce and the thing, but she falls in love. They, they proclaim their love, as, and it seems like the happy ending. But what happens? As soon as they say that, she steps off the curb and gets hit by a truck, basically, right? And she dies in the arms of the person said who she loved her. So this sounds like a Japanese movie sometimes, but like before all Japanese movies used to end like that. It's like, I don't know, but it's weird. But then the second one though, this, the second scenario, it actually, that we find at some point all this massive failure and misery and, and all that, but at the end, actually she falls in love and everything gets better and her life ends well right and so even though and why is that because there needed to be something that happened that stemmed the flow of chaos and that somehow brought order but it didn't all happen at once it needed to kind of filter its way and so when we come to experience this our life doesn't all change at once right and maybe it starts with the opposite of what happened because if jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and ultimately if that choice was influenced by the devil's temptation that the first effect was spiritual death but what is the first effect of coming to christ is spiritual life but does that mean everything in your life goes well after that no it doesn't it doesn't guarantee it's, it takes time right but as it goes its ripple effect through every aspect life can change dramatically but it really really changes when we pass from this life to the next because we'll never in this life never really get all of heaven till jesus comes back and changes everything and so what we can say is that maybe just watching that movie, you, you couldn't have predicted the outcomes the way they did, right? 
And so can we say that even though one system looked bad in the beginning, it ended good and was it worth it? Versus the one that was, looked perfect, looked great, but ended poorly. I think we would choose the latter, right? And so is it possible that God has a vantage point that we at times do not always possess to say that what is it that he wanted to bring out? And, and somehow that in his bid to create a family from all the peoples of the earth, because it says that he loves all the people of the earth, that he was trying to work something perfect through Christ. Now, what, what does that mean to us today then? Does it, does it help you? I, I'm not sure. Like, like, like I said, if in the middle of your life right now is something that, that is very personal, that's very real, that's very overwhelming, then I understand this message might not make, you know, might sound like a bunch of words a, a little, I, and I understand that. But I, I hope that you can understand God's heart for you. Because maybe it's like when I held my son, that maybe God is saying, I know this is painful. I know that, I know that you feel like I've abandoned you or I've betrayed you in some way. But I, I, I actually want what's best for you. If I, as a faulty human being, can feel that, I truly believe that your Father in heaven can do the same thing. He, he, his desire is not the pain, it's not the suffering, but there is something that he can even work through that. Now, what if I cause my own pain and suffering? Right? What if, what if I'm the cause of that? Well, you know, the thing is that God is still working all those things to the good. Even if you were the source of the pain, if you were the source of all that, the only thing that maybe helps to accelerate that is when we, maybe we invite him into that pain. We invite him into that suffering so that we don't keep it from him. We allow him, because we invite him into that, to begin to change it maybe more directly. And so, you know, this evening, uh, this morning, I, I, I do wanna invite us that, for some of us, we need to invite God into that. And for some of you, you know, life is good. And that's great. We're, we're glad for that. But we also know that it doesn't mean that there won't be dark days and there won't be hard days. And so, I want you to understand in that point that when that happens to you or people that you love, it's not because he's abandoned you. Or it's not because the devil is stronger. It's, I, I don't know the exact reason because can I say this? I don't know why. I, I don't know why that God allowed that child to die with my friends. I, I don't know why that, you know, when I was in Japan, I was asked directly, does God hate Japanese? Does God hate Japan? Because our nation is devastated. And I said, no, God doesn't hate Japanese. God doesn't hate Japan. He, he loves you. He loves this nation. But, so I, I don't know why. So I, I'm not saying I'm giving an answer to any specific situation, but I wanted us to understand the, 
kind of the broad framework so that when we look at those things, we can see why God even allowed this framework to happen. And so maybe this morning, let's just bring ourselves before him today. And for some of us, I, I hope that you have a, like a, again, the, the framework. But for some of us, I'm, I want us to pray to, to meet the one who begins to change. So can we just pray this morning? Can we bow our heads? Father, we know this question is a question uh, that most of us ask at some point. But more than asking the question and, and even getting a technically correct answer or, or maybe even a more technically complete answer, that doesn't change our life. What changes our life is you. Because you're the redeemer, because you're the healer, because you're the savior, because you're the king. And if for some of us, maybe that the reason why you've been wrestling with this pain so much is because you've been in pain, you've been a little resentful to God, and, and although God wants to embrace you and God, well, God wants to hold you, you've been pushing him away because of that. And can we just say that maybe it's time to invite him into your pain and suffering? Because when Jesus came in the world, this is how we know he did not just love us from a distance because he became a man who though they maybe they didn't have vaccinations but he stumbled and he fell and he knows what it meant to be a man to be a person to be a human being and all the things that come with it and when it came to that time when he hung on the cross he said give me all of your pain and all of your suffering and all of the evil and all of the sin in the world and put it on me that I can redeem it, that I can pay for it and that I will be the event by which will ripple throughout all of our lives and all of our experience to destroy the works of the devil and to bring restoration. Maybe would you invite him into that? Because God doesn't change the past. He changed how the past affects us. Because he's working it together for the good. Father, only you can do that. We're asking, would you, would you touch your people and, and those who call out on you right now? But for some of us, if you've never come to God to be part of his family, then maybe that's what the call is. Because God's not trying to create a perfect world and you don't fit in that world or he's not trying to, to point out how bad you are. He's trying to point out how loved you are. Sometimes in the process, we realize, generally we realize, well, to be honest, evil isn't just out in the world, but man, in my heart, there's some things that's been corrupted. And as a result, I sinned too. As a result, I, I've created my own messes. If you recognize that, but would you know that Jesus is, wants to be your redeemer? He wants to be your healer. He wants to be your savior. And if you just say yes to him and you surrender yourself to him, he, he says this, then I will begin that restoration work in you and starting in your heart and it's starting in your life.
And all you gotta do is ask. All you gotta do is ask. Whether you're at home or you're in the house, it's the same call. And if you're at that place where you go, Lord, that's me. Whether you're at home or you're in the house, will you just raise a hand to him and say, Lord, that's me today. I, I, I wanna respond to that. I, I need that. Because I see it, it's not just in the world, it's in me. Sometimes that rebellion, sometimes that hardness, I recognize that. We're gonna pray a very simple prayer if that's you and you would like to receive that. Would you repeat after me? Dear God, thank you that you know me and that you know all things. Thank you that you see the suffering in the world. You see my suffering. And I'm asking you today, would you come live inside me? Because Jesus, I recognize you died in my place for my sin and my wrongs, Lord, and, and my sickness and my disease. And that, Lord, you said that by your stripes, uh, I'll be made well, I'll be made whole. And so I receive you today. And would you be my leader and guide today? As I learn to follow you today, help me to know your will and your ways. I know you will use your word to teach me your will and your ways. So would you give me a hunger for your word? And Lord, would you bring people in my life that will stand with me in the journey of life to encourage me in you? So Lord, I receive you today. Because you chose me, I choose you. Would you help me to become all you created me to be? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Can we say congratulations to those folks? Can I address something that I, I mentioned that I feel like sometimes the enemy has used this. He used it in my life. Um, and it has to do with this probation thing I mentioned. But how many of you have ever thought maybe, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I know there are people that you think like, hey, what's prevent me from being like the devil like when I'm in heaven and, um, and I mess up in heaven? Well, you know, we talked about God making free moral agents we didn't i didn't use that term but giving people the free capacity to choose well that's what we choose in this life we choose him in this life right and there's a there's a little illustration in the old testament where people who had no choice like they make a choice and that seals their choice it was like a person who was a slave and, you know, slavery was a little different kind of slavery than American slavery. You didn't just, like, own people, but you um, they had a debt. And so this is what they said. But after having lived in this thing, they realized that the master of the house was more than the master of a house. He was like family. And so this is what they would say, that if you wanted to be a part of the house, not just a slave, then you would just say, would you, would you put a, would you pierce my ear? And he would go against the wall and they would take an awl and pierce his ear. And that choice then said this, I'm choosing to be a part of this. And then from that point on, were, he was part of that household. 
You see, in this life, when we choose Jesus, and we have to keep choosing, that this is what we say. When we come to the end of the life, this probationary period, if this is what happens, it says, then when we see Jesus, then we shall become like he is. He will change us in some ways, not to take away our the will, but because that is the expression of our will that we want to now not be able to do those things that we did in the past. And so this is what we end the probation and we step into the fullness. That makes sense? And so if anybody else wrestled, I used to wrestle with that. But God says, this, no, 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 that's this life. In the next life, now we get changed. Now we get the real party begins. And so, hey, God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us.